already. I'm wired. <laughs> I feel like Joe 90 up here. Who remembers that? Sheesh. For your time, Malcolm, was it? Or was that Phil? Very good. Ah, well, that uh, little thing that Heather ended up is the complete opposite of the story I want to talk about. <laughs> Three baskets coming out and one coming back. Because I want to talk about um, the feeding of the 5,000, where uh, one basket went out and seven came back, or 12 came back. So, uh, hey, that was good. That was just so powerful this morning. Mike, well done, you lot, for doing that. I just really sense the presence of God coming there as you were praying as well and interceding and uh, it's really good to go for those things I just love it when that happens so well done um, and we received that dream that uh, Avril had last night about the gold coming I, I, I believe that I believe we are on a journey to seeing the uh, presence of God coming in, in stronger measure. That's, that's the journey that we're on and that we're pursuing, that we keep pushing forward in, and we are going to get there. Um, and it's kind of a little bit tough along the way sometimes, uh, but we are going to get there because that's what he has said, and his word is true, and his word is faithful. And he who began a good work is faithful to bring it to completion. Okay, so that's the journey we're on, and it's uh, very exciting. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about resources today. And, um, you, you know, all of, as I often say, these, these uh, talks that I do personally uh, are just what the Lord is saying. They're little threads that are running through my life at the moment so and some of you have heard some of this already uh, at different groups at worshiping at, when we're out at different groups um, you know there's bits of it that come out but sometimes it's right to just bring it all together and to kind of anchor it in the ground saying this is what the Lord is saying at the moment and I believe it is one of those times and um, I'm on the wrong page that's why it doesn't look very familiar <laughs> it's uh, I feel it is good to um, start off by just put, laying a bit of a foundation down because it is very easy to lose sight of this foundation in view of some of the things that go on. And that foundation is that God is good. Okay? The foundation is the goodness of God. It is... Um, it, it, unalterable and it, but the reason why we get confused is because we see bad stuff don't we and sometimes in our hearts we, we sort of connect it through to God and uh, you know like when we see the earthquake in Japan or uh, we see kind of dreadful things that happen we sort of say in, internally and the world says and we hear the world say through the media how can God allow that you know, and, and so there is a sort of subliminal connection there that God actually is not good, but that actually sends bad stuff to kind of teach us a lesson. And I think that is just completely and utterly wrong. Okay, I just he has not got badness to send. And uh, we heard, you know, a great talk from Mike the other week about Job and some lessons from Job. Um, about how you know Job went through a season of his life uh, where God allowed him to be tested, uh, but 
in the overall thing, when you take a step back from him, from the whole story, you find that Job's life was fundamentally good and blessed before the season and fundamentally good and blessed after the season. So for 99% of his time, he was living in the goodness and blessing of God and uh, things were going well. And he had this tiny little season where a season of testing came upon him to, to, to see what was in his heart in a way. And, you know, Mike, I won't go over that again. Mike did a great job uh, the other night. But God is good. And I think in order for us to sort of understand that and to know why we can have that confidence is I think you've just got to look at Jesus. Okay, because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, and as Bill says, Jesus Christ himself is perfect theology. Forget all of the ideas of kind of going through scholars and scripts and and this, that, and the other. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So look at Jesus, and he presents a perfect picture of the Father. And I think the things that we have in Scripture, which give us an indication of what Jesus was like, point us directly to the Father. Okay, so, for example, what did he do? What, you know, what were the things that he did? Well, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He fed the hungry. He calmed storms. Okay, if we look at the converse of all of that, did, are there any accounts in the New Testament of Jesus saying, right, let's let's just send sickness on that one there and see what happens. Are there any times when Jesus says, well, I bless that storm to go and move over there and uh, teach those people a lesson. Are there any cases where he does the reverse of uh, raising from the dead? And, th- and the answer, of course, is no. That doesn't come from Jesus' mouth ever. He only brings correction to the thing. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He comforts the broken. All of those things are displaying the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we have got a very good idea of what the Father heart is like. Okay, does that explain why there's so much rubbish in the world? No, it does not. But it does explain to us what the heart of our Father is like. That he is good, that there is goodness in him, and that he delights to give that to us. Now, so why does all of that stuff happen? And we've mentioned some of that before, and I'm not going to like major on that, only that to say, you know, the way that God the Father chose to work was to put control and dominion of the earth and its environment and its surroundings and the people in it to man himself. He handed over that delegated authority to him and said, go and take dominion of the earth. And basically what we see, I believe, is as a result of us getting it wrong. But Jesus' heart, and he came to demonstrate, was how we put it right again. Okay, so man has kind of shown what he can do in his capabilities. Jesus came and showed a new way of how to begin to put stuff right. So that's, I, don't, I don't think we need to say any more about that.
So, let's just, I want to have a look. Now, some of these, some of these stories uh, will be familiar to you, especially for the guys that listen to the Bethel stuff, because that's what I'm learning at the moment. We're doing this leadership development program. We're listening to a lot of stuff out of Bethel, and it is really challenging me and correcting the way that I think. So some of this stuff gets repeated on, and I think it's a very, very good uh, thing for us to look at. So I'm just kind of repeating on to you, which Bill gave to me on the night before he was betrayed. All of that stuff. Okay, so let's have a look at Mark uh, chapter 8. I'm just going to read out a story. And sure enough, it does have baskets in it. Okay, Mark chapter 8, and uh, we're going to read a fair bit of it out. About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and people ran out of food again. This was the second time this had happened. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been uh, here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? And Jesus asked, well, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. And so Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves. He thanked God for them and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too. What they were like after three days in the wilderness, listening to Jesus, one never knows, but presumably some miracle was done there. A a few small fish were found too. So Jesus also blessed these. It's a bit of a key here. Whatever he receives into his hand, he blesses and gives thanks for and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 people in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Okay, so this is a great miracle, isn't it? It It's like, there we go, he's got seven loaves and a few small fish, and he manages to feed... Um, 4,000 people, perhaps more. I'm sure the biblical scholars will say maybe that only counts men and perhaps there was women and children there as well. But a lot of people. I mean, the numbers don't really matter other than that there were a lot. And not only that, they didn't just have enough. They didn't kind of just get the little bit or whatever that sustained them and kept the blood sugars up just enough to get them home. It says they ate as much as they wanted. That's kind of a fullness in that, isn't there? And, you know, if we've seen our bringing shares, there is a certain kind of stirring that goes on when the, when the food's opened up and people dive in and there's a, there's a hunger. And I can imagine that's what it was like there. People ate what they wanted. They ate their fill. But then also there was a lot left over. Kind of 12, well, seven baskets in this case, 12 in the time before. There was an abundance released out of the small part that was there. But this is the bit that I want to actually look at, the, the second part of the story. Immediately after this, 
I don't know what verse we're on now. But um, immediately after this, he got into the boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Dalmanathua. Wherever that is. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him, testing him, and they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And when he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed over to the other side of the lake. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, because he knew what they were thinking, watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they they hadn't brought any bread. And Jesus knew uh, what they were saying. So he said, what are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take this in? You're, <laughs> you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, don't you hear? Or don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. Right, there there is such a key here, uh, and it is a key for my life at the moment, okay? It is a key for where I am and also where a number of you are at the moment because I've spoken to you and I know it okay I know there are a lot of people who are in a similar position facing a uh, limitation of resources at the moment okay now what Jesus is saying to these disciples and it is really very interesting he's saying that they have literally just seen this marvelous miracle haven't they 4,000 people fed loads of bread left over and uh, and so on and they get in the boat and the first thing they say is we haven't got any bread we've forgotten to bring bread what are we going to do and Jesus said don't you know I've done this twice now I've done this twice now and you're still not catching on now there's a key thing in this that You know, Jesus, of course, did miracles. And um, whenever he did miracles, he said, look, the kingdom of God has come near you. And people began to believe and people came into the kingdom. They were attracted into the kingdom just for um, because they'd seen the miracles. And that was the thing that opened up their hearts. And of course, you know, yes, that that is a really good place for miracles. But I believe what Jesus is saying here is that those miracles are not just for the big shows. They're not just for when you've got loads of people gathered. They're for when you're sitting in a boat and you haven't got anything to eat. The same principles apply because he said to them, why are you arguing about not having any bread? 
when you have just seen here. And he says, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, don't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? And I think that, that there's three things there, isn't there? There's a seeing, there's a hearing, and there's a remembering what God has done. And, and the point that I want to get across, the one point that I just want to get across today is that we are designed to live our lives looking through the glasses or the spectacles of our past experience with God. You know, when something happens to us, when, hands up here, who has had some kind of miracle of provision sometime in the past? Woo, blooming lots, blooming lots. You know, things unexpectedly. I give, I give you for example, I, I've had one. I've had one this year um, where I was, uh, and I, I, I may have said this before, so forgive me, but you know, it's good to keep telling them. We went off to Leicester and uh, we were in quite a tight position after Christmas financially. Uh, we'd still got the aftermath of all that building work and some unpaid loans and all of that stuff and interest and things were tight and anxiety was running high. Okay, And we went to this meeting up with the Bethel guys in Leicester. And uh, I'd booked into this hotel on the internet, which looked beautiful. It looked lovely. It had this beautiful open kind of reception area with marble floors. And I thought I could see a little fountain in the background and stuff. And it was £40 a night. And, uh, <laughs> but, of course, we get there. We get there and find it is right in the red light district of Leicester. It is, there is a, a, a Spearmint Rhino Club just next door with kind of a load of people lining up to go in. And, uh, and we kind of took one look at it and I thought, I can't ask Heather to stay here. <laughs> I thought, if I was by myself, I would probably have slummed it and just gone for it. But we went, actually went into the room to have a look and uh, everything was nailed down in it. <laughs> It was like threadbare. There was just kind of hardly anything in the room itself. I could, I could vaguely recognize the foyer from the pictures, but that was about as far as it went. And, and I thought, no, let's just... And I'd paid for it in advance, and that was even more galling. It wasn't one of those things you can just phone up and cancel and, you know, or whatever. Um, I'd paid for it, and so I thought, no, let's move out of here. And we went and checked into a place just close by that, um, not that close by, but <laughs> in a slightly more desirable part of town. And, um, and we, had, we had, a, had a great weekend. And, uh, and then the next morning, of course, we get there and they say, it's offering time. I'm thinking, I've just lost 40 quid. In fact, I've just lost 60 quid because the, because the next one was the Premier Inn was a little bit more expensive than this one. So I've just lost 60 quid. I haven't got any money. I'm really t I don't know how we're going to get through the rest of this month. And, uh, and here we are doing offerings. And I know inside, before I start this little internal debate, that what I've got to do is make an offering. You know, it's like that's, that is what... God is like stirring up in me. And so I just, you wrestle with it for a while, don't you? And I say, all right, I'll, I'll come quietly. It's a fair cop. And so you kind of write the check out, put it in the offering. And uh, I think within two hours, 
I get a phone call from my dad, who's uh, at home. He's kind of been going through his finances and stuff, and he says, you know, I've just had a... Um, just been looking through some stuff. I've got a bit of spare money. He's 84 now. He's like, uh, doesn't quite know what to do with his money. I think he retired onto more than I was earning. Um, he's got one of those jobs. But he said, I've got some spare money and I've decided to give you and your brothers just a gift. And I'd like to give you both, uh, all of you, all three of you, £2,000 each. And this was in, within a, a couple of hours. And, you know, that's what I call a miracle of provision. It's kind of something, not only did we make the offering, but we made, you know, we made the sacrifice. I knew God was saying to me, just let that go, that hotel room. Don't worry. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. Because, you know, the birds are looked after, doesn't it? As it says, I think, in Matthew 6. um, And Solomon and all of his uh, finery and wealth was never dressed as well as the lilies of the valleys and all of this sort of stuff. And... You know, your father in heaven knows what you need. And um, that's what we felt to do. And sure enough, he came up. And I will say that through the years, and uh, Wayne will kind of back me out, we went through a whole season of things where God was providing things one after another. We've got like a whole catalogue. In fact, Wayne once gave us a book, didn't you? Our faith walk. A walk of faith. Phil and had this walk of faith at some kind of anniversary or something where we began to write these things down of how God had come and just done fantastic things. Now, those are fantastic things, but they're not just good. It's not just like exciting for that moment and then you're designed to walk out of the door and then start getting anxious again. And, I, you know, I've been a Christian for a jolly long time And I've seen some really good stuff. I've seen God move. I've seen provision come. And yet I will still get into a situation and think, how on earth is that money going to last to the end of the month? I'm going to have to go out and do this or I'm going to have to go and... That's my first response. Rather than thinking, God did this in the past. I wonder what he's going to do this time. I wonder what he's going to do. And this is what I mean. Your testimony, your encounters with God and the miracles that you have uh, received and been a part of are designed, you are designed to live your life in the light of those testimonies from that point on. That is what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. He's saying, you know, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? You know, Whenever you're in that sort of situation, God will give you some keys to move forward. And, you know, Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. And he said, I say what I hear the Father saying. So he's saying, you have eyes, can't you see? Can you see how the Father is leading you through this thing? You have ears, can you not hear how he's leading you in this situation? And failing that, because sometimes you can't see and sometimes you can't hear, but don't you remember? So failing seeing, failing hearing, fresh revelation there. Can you remember what happened? That's what he said to his disciples about the bread, you see. So the the three kind of key steps that when we're faced 
with trials, when we're faced with uh, difficulties, we're to go to him. We're to go to him and say, Father, show me. Show me the way through this. Speak to me. Give me some keys on how to get through this. And within the context of all of that, what has he done in the past? What has he done? Now, that's not me saying that we need to get religious and say just because he did it this way, then on the same day of the same month of the same year, each year, he will do it in exactly the same way. But it is a framework for understanding that when they didn't have food, he multiplied what was there. And I think this is a, this is a specific thing. Let's just look at one more scripture. And then I think we're going to have some communion and stuff, so, which would be good. Whoa. I think we should have toys for all the ages in church. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I love these bouncy things down here. Um, you can all have a chance to play on them at the end. <laughs> There's um, the story of Elijah um, in and around the time when he's had the big showdown with the prophets of Baal, you know, up on the, on the mountain when fire came down from heaven and all of that. And um, it's in 1 Kings 17, if you want to have a look at it. And uh, Elijah hears the word of the Lord, and he goes, and the Lord leads him out into the wilderness and says, go and set up camp near the brook at, at uh, Zarephath. No, that was the place where it was. The brook at? Kerith whatever that is. And he sits there, and of course there's great provision that comes from him. Water uh, is coming in the brook, and the ravens are bringing uh, food for him to eat, and uh, it's kind of a miraculous thing. And after a period, that dries up, doesn't it? The brook dries up, and the ravens stop coming. And, you know, how many of us have been in that situation before, where you've been living in the fullness of something, some revelation which God has brought, but then it stopped, Something has stopped and the season has changed because the brook's dried up and the ravens have stopped coming. But God speaks and he says, After a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. And the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. I think this is so funny. I, you know, I read these and, and look at them and... Um, that you to say, I have instructed a widow to feed you. And you kind of, in your mind, you think of God going to the widow, some godly widow who's kind of sitting there praying, and he, she gets the word of the Lord, a prophet is going to come to you, you're going to feed him, and all of that stuff. But you read on, he gets there, and she knows nothing about it. <laughs> so there's, there's God who says he has commanded or instructed something to happen, but actually... She, it wasn't with words, was it? It was like in the spirit, maybe. It's, uh, it, it has been ordained and destined. But I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please, please bring me a little water in a cup? And she was, she was, as, she was going to, as she was going to get it, he called to her, Oh, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I only have a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. 
you know, sometimes we feel like that. Our resources are depleted <laughs> and there is only a tiny bit left. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've just said, but first make a little bread for me. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord your God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again in the land. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at resources, and, and the reason why I'm feeling this season so much at the moment is because, generally speaking, I've been someone who's been fairly well in control of my life, financially, in terms of what I do, when I do it, all of that. But it seems like... We are in a season at the moment where I have been sort of backed into a bit of a corner. I've been led into a place, and I believe by God, he's kind of led me out to, to do certain things. And, you know, like, for example, uh, building on the house. I felt very clearly he said, do that, and it was a prophetic symbol. He told me to take on certain tasks, like be the chair of governors at the local school. I felt he said that. And when I looked to actually stop doing it, he said, no, I've led you into that place. Don't give it up. I felt him quite clearly say. And yet, in the context of it all now, as I look at it, I feel pressed on every side. I feel pressed financially. I feel pressed uh, in terms of time. I feel pr pressed in terms of energy and enthusiasm, I just feel pressed. And it feels like the resources of all of those different things are at a low level, if you like. And yet I feel I've been led into that place. And that is exactly what this, this widow uh, was in. She had this tiny bit of resource left. And everything in you is just saying, I can't spare any of that resource I really can't spare any of that because it's, you, you know, it's all I've got. It's all that I'm kind of hanging on to. I've really got to make that last. I've got to do something with it. And yet God's solution to these things is very rarely bury what you have. Hold on to it. Quite often it is to actually give out of it. Yeah. Give out of the little bit that you have left. So, for example... When I'm kind of feeling pressed time-wise to actually give some time. I always have this kind of thing that I said to the guys at work, you know, you get very frustrated when you're late for something. You need to do is let someone out in front of you in the queue rather than push your way through. Because God blesses your journey. It does. It's like as you begin to sow into it, when, you, when the finances are getting, rather than kind of, going through with your hand on the horn, get out my way. <laughs> when, you're, when things are getting low financially, the best thing to do is to give a gift to someone, something. 
give a gift to the poor, something like that, because there is a flow. There is a flow which begins to come. He will give you the keys uh, of how to do this. You know, when you're feeling discouraged and down and slightly depressed, rather than just sitting and kind of wallowing in it and saying, oh, poor me, and kind of making everyone else's life a misery as well and getting them to feel sorry for you, go and encourage someone. Come in an opposite spirit and, and come and do something, sow something. As you sow, so shall you reap. It's a sowing and reaping thing, you know? And as you begin to do it, you begin to reap it back as well. And through that whole story of the widow, it's interesting how she starts off, doesn't she? Um, blah, 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 where it says, would you bring it? The widow says, um, as she was going to get it, please bring me a bright bite of bread as well. And he says, I swear by the Lord your God. This is the widow saying to Elijah, the Lord your God. And then by the end of the thing, and it, it, uh, Elijah's saying, it's the Lord your God. There's a, there's a miracle. That, so from her looking from the outside in at this God who was Elijah, suddenly that God became her God as she stepped into that miracle of provision. And that is what happens. That is what happens. Like with Job, as he went through those things, he said, before I had known you, but now I've seen you. He, you know, God became his God. He, he began to own uh, God and have his own experience and relationship. So we need to give out of the little that we've got. And we're not going to take up an offering. Okay, I'm not going down that road, and I really don't want to focus on money. Although money is one of the things I'm, you know, for me is is like what I'm looking at at the moment. It's so much more than that. It's so much more. It's all of our resources. It's time. It's energy. It's encouragement. It's it's praise. It's it's love. It's forgiveness. It's all of these different things that we may feel depleted in. What we need to do is to give some of that back to God in some way. And God always says, give the best bit back to him. You look at the principles of the offerings that were sent down in the law, the first fruits, it should always be the best, the first part, the, the best part of the day or whatever in terms of time, the best part of the flock, the best lamb without blemish, without spot and all of that sort of stuff. You know, I always remember the story of uh, when Matt Redman and Mike Pelavacci were starting off the Soul Survivor uh, Church. And uh, they were talking together and uh, saying, what we really need to do is sort of do some worship and get, gather some people. And uh, they said, well, what, when, when should we do it? I mean, this was before Matt could even play guitar, I think. He only kind of knew a couple of chords or something. And... Uh, and he said, well, what, what day should we do it on? And Matt said, well, I think it should be Saturday night because Saturday night is the best night of the week and that's what we should give to God. And how often do we think, you know, well, that night is my special night. You know, that's my one that I kind of is mine sort of thing. You know, but they had this thing. We've got to give the best to God. Give him the best. And then... You know, as just uh, finish off now, the uh, story of the talents and the miners, 
remember the talents were where the master came and gave the servants uh, ten talents and five talents and one talent and you know they had to go and do business with them and uh, one the one with ten came back with twenty the one with five came back with ten and the one with one buried it and um, the, the comment back from the master was from the ones that had invested wisely and had really kind of given it and risked it and put it out there was well done good and faithful servant and for the miners which was a similar sort of story a miner was a, a slightly lesser measurement than a talent i believe but still in the thousands of pounds sort of uh, region uh, but he says you know to you whom little was given much will be given you know you who had who were faithful with the little will be given much and i think there is something about being faithful with the little that we have, the resources that we have, in constantly coming back and giving them to God, which will multiply it back to us. It's like in the story of the fishes and the bread. They had to give the little up. I mean, can you imagine the poor boy in the, in the first one who had his little packed lunch or something and kind of looks out at the 5,000 people or whatever, and he has to give his lunch up. He had to risk it. It's like with the widow you know, she had that tiny bit left. And she thought, well, if I give some to this bloke, this man of God, you know, I'm not going to have as much myself. But she had to risk it. She had to risk it in giving that first portion. So there we go. We've got a couple things there. One is we need to live our lives in the light of the testimonies which God has given us. We need to remember. We need to keep bringing them up. We need to keep telling them. That's why we do the good news stuff. All right. And we need to expect that once we've had a miracle in one area, once we've had some provision, that God expects us to live our lives in the light of that ground that we've taken and to not go back to old ways, not go back to old anxieties and, and all of that stuff, but to really use that to tell the story, to allow his presence to come and generate that miracle again. And the second thing is we need to be faithful with the small bit that we have in our hands to not not kind of do the grasping thing and say oh well I haven't got much so therefore I need everything myself but to carry on it's easy to give when you've got a lot it's easy to offer time when you've got all the time in the world but when it's pressed then it becomes a sacrifice but it's good so I'll just finish with this scripture and then Heather can come up and guide us into this time of communion. Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 19. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. For that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and your gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock 
He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did this all so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But I assure you of this, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshipping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Well, that's a bit of a negative note to finish on. Perhaps I should have cut that bit off there. But We need to remember, remember, remember the good things that he has done because that is where our continuance comes from.